It's good to be with you all the day after Christmas. And, you know, this is a very exciting time of year where everyone is happy and lighthearted, looking forward to time with family, gift exchanges, the new year. And for Christians, hopefully, uh, the joy of celebrating our Savior's birth. Though for many this season also brings a heavy w- heaviness with it. Uh, maybe some difficult things have happened during this time of year in the past or are happening right now. And so it makes it hard to fully enjoy the season. Now, I'm, I was a little nervous to talk about what we're going to talk about today because I was like, you know, the day after Christmas, I mean, the Advent candles are still lit. You know, I, I don't want to talk about this. Um, however, I, I think we'll see that um, although it's fitting to talk about joy and excitement, as this service has come together just more and more, I see that this is a fitting topic that the Lord has been preparing for us today, and we're going to talk about the problem of suffering. Now, I learned a very useful word this year, and that word is ambivalent. Now, ambivalence is when we experience conflicting motions at the same time. So, for instance, say uh, we, during the Christmas season, we might experience uh, a deep sense of joy. Uh, yet at the same time, some of us might also, at the same time as experiencing that joy, might be a, a, a deep sense of sadness. And so this is ambivalence, where we have these conflicting emotions seemingly at the same time. And, you know, it might seem strange to talk about suffering the day after Christmas, but I think we'll see that it's actually not too far off the mark when we talk about Christmas and suffering in the same breath. And this problem of suffering is actually one of the biggest questions that people have, whether Christians or non-Christians. Why is there so much suffering? Is there any meaning to it all? Is there a solution to this suffering? And suffering is a common human experience. No one is exempt. And we see it in all different forms throughout the world. Whether it's the extreme poverty we see hundreds of millions living in every single day. Or the tyrannical rule of leaders and governments. Or the incomprehensible amount of child abuse that goes either reported or not in our own country, the United States. The sickness, disease, accidents, or natural disasters that kill millions every single year. Or even the persecution of our brothers and sisters in Christ in countries that are hostile to the gospel. So we can literally see suffering on a global scale. However, it's easy to overlook these things uh, because they're, they're out there and don't really affect us. And suffering is actually really easy to ignore until it comes and slaps you in the face one day, right? When it comes down to your level and invades your otherwise happy life, that's when suffering becomes real. That's when we start wanting answers and solutions to suffering. 
And we've all experienced it in one way or another. And if you haven't yet experienced suffering, you will. You will. No one is exempt from this universal human experience. Sure, some may experience more than others or less than others or different kinds than others, but the reality is if your day has not yet come, it will. And suffering can take on many forms, and I'm sure that each of you can relate to at least one of the following. Sickness, disease, divorce, Losing a job, abandonment, poverty, cancer, heartbreak, chronic illness, disappointment, adultery, abuse, depression, loss, miscarriage, addiction, betrayal, or the death of a loved one. In some way, suffering has or will directly touch our lives and change us forever. We're going about our lives when suddenly trials and tribulations asserted themselves, uninvited and unwelcomed, and made themselves at home. And this is when the rubber hits the road. This is when we want, even demand, answers and solutions to suffering, since we can no longer act like it's not there because it has taken up residence in our lives. We need an answer to deal with the problem of suffering. But what options do we have? Well, at the beginning of this year, uh, I made a reading list. And in years past, I would say, I want to read X number of books by the end of this year but wouldn't come anywhere close because I would start reading one book and then I would get interested in another book and then pick up a third until finally I'm reading five books at once and I don't finish any of them. So I would come nowhere close to my goal. So one of the books on my list this year, I've probably had for about six years, but I'd never read it. And it was one of the first books on my list And little did I know how relevant it would be for my life. The title is A Grace Disguised. And it was written by Gerald Sitzer. The subtitle, How the Soul Grows Through Loss. And in the book, he shares about the most painful experience he ever went through in the fall of 1991. His children were homeschooled. And to finish up a unit on Native American culture his wife decided that she wanted to take the children to a powwow, which is a Native American ceremony. So they took their four children and Gerald's mother uh, in a minivan and headed for a reservation in Idaho. And after the ceremony and talking with the elders of the tribe, uh, it was getting late, so they start to head home. And as they're heading home, Gerald notices a car coming extremely fast the other way. And as they go around the curve, the car crosses the center line at 85 miles per hour and hits the minivan head on. In a moment, 
Gerald lost his mother, his wife, and one of his daughters. In an instant, three generations of women gone from his family tree. And he still had three other children to care for during this time. And so the rest of the book is him telling about the story of how he as a Christian processed the pain, the darkness, and suffering of that horrible time. And shortly after the accident, he had a dream that I actually want to use to illustrate uh, the different options we have and the different responses we have when it comes to suffering. He described it this way. I dreamed of a setting sun. I was frantically running west, trying desperately to catch it and remain in its fiery warmth and light. But I was losing the race. The sun was beating me to the horizon and was soon gone. I suddenly found myself in the twilight, exhausted. I stopped running and glanced with foreboding over my shoulder to the east. I saw a vast darkness closing in on me. I was terrified by that darkness. I wanted to keep running after the sun, though I knew it was futile, for it had already proven itself faster than I was. So, I lost all hope, collapsed to the ground, and fell into despair. I thought at that moment that I would live in darkness forever. I felt absolute terror in my soul. So, in this dream we have three responses to suffering illustrated for us. And the first two responses are the responses that the world offers to us as answers. So the first option the world offers is to run away from suffering. To run away from it. So in the same way that Gerald kept running after the sunset and away from the darkness in his dream, the world gives us the option to run away as well. And this can look different from person to person. Uh, One way is using different things in life to distract us. Anything that can keep us from thinking about our suffering just long enough so that the painful feelings and emotions can't come back to the surface. Now these things can range from very mundane to very extreme. For instance, uh, one useful option to distract us to run away is work. We stay busy with our jobs and then come home and stay busy at home around the house until we go to bed and wake up and stay busy all the next day again. Now, I'm not saying this is all bad. Uh, When we are experiencing hardship and difficulty in life, it is good to have some things to do to keep you moving forward, occupied, and not stagnate. However, we as humans are terrible at keeping the pendulum from swinging from one extreme back to the other. And a lot of times we can use this busyness of life to run away from the pain that is waiting for us when we stop. And this is especially difficult in our culture because workaholism is praiseworthy. It makes it doubly tempting. Not only do I not have to face my pain, but I am celebrated for overworking myself. And this is especially tempting for men who naturally are workaholics that put their identity 
in what we do. We put our identity in our work. So another way we distract ourselves, especially in this age, is social media. We can keep scrolling and watching cute cat videos all day and never face the pain and suffering awaiting us in our real lives. And it it has a good numbing effect to keep the pain away. And this is actually also the appeal that video games has for many young people. Why live in this painful reality where your parents are divorced, you're getting bullied at school, and nobody seems to care about you, and you can literally go live in an alternate universe where you can run around, pretty much do whatever you want, and be the hero of the story. That has a lot of appeal. Now, these are some of the more subtle and culturally acceptable ways of running away, but a more obvious and frowned upon means is that of addiction. So, ultimately, research has found that all addictions serve the primary purpose of pushing unwanted and painful feelings out of conscious awareness. That's the goal. Whether it's facing the reality of abuse or a dysfunctional family or the loss of a loved one, what the person is trying to do and trying to avoid, addictions do a great job of giving the person an escape so they can run away from the suffering. And it doesn't, it does not matter the addiction. Alcoholism, narcotics, painkillers, pornography, sex, food, anything else. They help you run away so you can keep chasing the sunset. However, we know that addictions are not viable options for dealing with our personal suffering. And in fact, running away from suffering doesn't alleviate, heal, or deal with suffering. It just prolongs it. So we, especially as Christians, must reject the option of running away. But what about the second option the world offers? In Gerald's dream, after he couldn't run toward the sunset and away from the darkness any longer, he collapsed to the ground in despair. This is an alternative to running away. We just crumple into a heap and give up. This is what happens when one gives in to despair. This looks like when a person just completely shuts down and pushes everyone and everything away. We let the darkness of suffering consume us without holding on to hope for relief and redemption, and we never rebound from it. And this can also look like taking on a victim mentality. And more and more, our culture has a victim mentality. No one wants to take responsibility or ownership for anything, but instead we want to blame all our problems on everybody else. True, others may have done wrong to you or harmed you, but even then, you have the option to choose how to respond. So, it only causes anger, bitterness, hatred when we collapse into despair and try to blame everyone and everything else for our problems because we ultimately get stuck. We get stuck blaming everything on life circumstances and other people. 
And victims cannot be victorious because they're so focused on their suffering they can't hope for a brighter future. So neither of these options offered by the world provide an answer or solution on how to deal with suffering. Now the question is, what's God's answer to deal with the problem of suffering? Well, God tells us the answer on how to deal with our suffering in Romans 5, 1 through 5. So go ahead and turn there. And that's the passage that we're going to be focusing on today. And to give you some context, right before this passage in Romans 5, the Apostle Paul has just been talking about how Abraham was justified by faith. That justification does not come through works, but through faith. And then we come to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and it says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we're just coming out of this season of Advent where each week we focus on a different word. Hope, peace, joy, love. And I actually never noticed until this past week, but the four words from Advent uh, appear in this passage. We have peace with God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance character, and character hope, and the love of God has been poured into our hearts. And not only that, but other important words in Christianity are mentioned in this passage, such as justified, faith, grace, and glory. And then, smack dab in the middle of this passage, in the midst of all these other words, we have suffering. But notice it's not presented in a negative light. It too, along with the other aspects of the Christian faith, is presented positively. So just like we rejoice in the hope of being glorified by God one day, we are to rejoice in our sufferings, plural. Why? And here we're given the reason God allows suffering to come into our lives. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance, character, and character, hope. Now, God isn't some sadistic, malevolent being who enjoys seeing his creation and children suffer. Rather, he desires to grow and mature us, mature our character. And as we experience more suffering, the hope of being glorified with God becomes more precious and we look forward to its coming. Therefore, suffering is an important aspect of being a Christian. In fact, suffering is central to the Christian life. Suffering is central to the Christian life. It's not pointless 
but God uses it to shape us into the people he created us to be. Now think about it. When you reflect on your own life, what were the experiences that grew you the most? Was it when things were easy and life was going along merrily? We all know that's not the case. It's when you faced hardship, loss, sickness, death, and suffering. It was when the world was closing in on you and you felt like you couldn't breathe, that there was no hope on the other side. And those times when hope seemed like a fairy tale and there was no light at the end of the tunnel. Now, going through those experiences has the potential to expand our souls and strengthen our character. But notice I say they have the potential to do so. I didn't say that they automatically make us stronger. And this is because our response to suffering is crucial. How we respond to those hardships that come our way makes all the difference in what the outcome, outcome for our lives will be on the other side. And it's just, it's the saddest thing to me when I see someone who says they were a Christian at some point walks away from their faith because some hardship came their way and they couldn't handle it. They're literally walking away from the one who can actually help them and heal them in the midst of their suffering. The one who can actually help them, they're walking away. And it reminds me of the parable of the sower that Jesus told in Matthew 13. As the sower is in the field throwing seed, the seed falls on different kind of soil. And one kind of soil it fell on was the rocky ground with little soil. Still, there was soil, so the seed took root and grew immediately into a plant. However, when the morning sun came, the plants were scorched since they had no root to provide the necessary nutrients to endure the sun's heat and the plant withered away. And after he told the parable, Jesus' disciples were asking him about the meaning. And when talking about the seed we mentioned, he says this, As for what was sown on rocky ground is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. When hardship, suffering, or persecution comes their way, they give up and walk away. There's no honor in this. There's no honor or virtue in giving up. Enduring to the end is to be praised. And the word translated as tribulation here in this passage is the same Greek word used for suffering in our passage in Romans 5. And if we endure to the end and do not let our faith wither or our character will be transformed and we will live with a new hope. But this doesn't settle well with us, especially as Americans because we're allergic to suffering and pain of any kind. When we experience any kind of difficulty, we tend to complain and demand immediate relief. When suffering interrupts our otherwise comfortable lives, we seek to blame, 
look for scapegoats or find a shortcut back to the life that we had before. And it shocks us that God would allow this to happen to us. We become indignant and demand answers. It's unfair. But we should not be surprised that we face suffering, especially as Christians. One commentator, F.F. Bruce, while commenting on this passage here in Romans 5.3, where it says we rejoice in our sufferings, he says this, If this seems strange to us, let us remind ourselves that in the New Testament, affliction is viewed as the normal experience of a Christian. The apostles warn their converts in Acts 14.22 that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when tribulation came their way, as it did regularly, they could not complain that they had not been prepared for it. But affliction and tribulation were not only regarded as inevitable, as an inevitable feature of the Christian lot, they were looked upon as a token of true Christianity. They were a sign that God counted those who endured them worthy of the kingdom. End quote. So we should not be surprised when suffering comes our way as Christians because nowhere in Scripture does it say that we are exempt. It actually says the exact opposite. I love what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 4. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And the wording of verse 12 is interesting. When Peter says to not be surprised at the fiery trial, as though it's something strange happening, the language refers to a stranger showing up at one's door to come in. So let's think about it this way. In this last week, you may have had company coming, whether family or friends coming for Christmas. And you were anticipating their arrival because you had invited them. And so when you hear the knock at the door, you go over to the door and open it, and you're, there they are. You're expecting them to come. And, you know, they know the deal. They've been invited. So without even asking, uh, they start to walk in the door, and you have no problem with it because it's an anticipated, invited guest. Now, let's think about it this way. Say you weren't anticipating any guests, and then you hear a knock at the door. So you go to the door and open it, same scenario, yet there is a complete stranger standing at your door. And as you open the door, to find out who it is, they act like they're an invited guest. So without asking, they walk into your house with their suitcase, throw it in the room, and plop down on the couch. 
This would be very strange and uh, concerning to you. And it would kind of throw you off. And I realize this scenario is probably not very realistic in our context, seeing as how many people are exercising their Second Amendment right in our congregation. So um, it probably might not happen. But the point is that an unexpected guest that you don't know would surprise you. And what Peter is saying that when suffering comes, and specifically persecution, when it comes and knocks on your door to come in, it shouldn't surprise you like an unexpected stranger. Instead, it should be like an expected guest arriving. Though it may be an unwanted guest, maybe like in-laws for some of us, not mine, Though an uninvited, unwelcome guest, it's coming in anyway, so we ought to have a room prepared for it, as long as God allows it to stay. And now, I'm not saying we should go out looking for suffering or trying to intentionally cause ourselves suffering. That would be foolish. But what I am saying is that we do need to be ready to host it in our lives when it comes and not act surprised when it knocks at our door. And it's one thing for me to say all these things. However, suffering has been a consistent companion of mine throughout my life. I've only been around for 25 years, but I've had my share of suffering. Here are just a few examples. At a young age, around eight or nine, I was first exposed to pornography which turned into a full-blown addiction by middle school that had a death grip on my soul until the last couple years. My father struggled with alcoholism, which led to the verbal and emotional abuse of my family and caused deep insecurities in the depth of my soul. I felt unlovable and worthless. From about age 9 to 11, I was sexually abused by another minor a significant contributor to my sexual addiction. In sixth grade, I started having chest pains one night and was rushed to the hospital where we found out I had an irregular heartbeat. In seventh grade, I had to watch my mother lose all of her hair as she was hooked up to a bunch of machines pumping chemotherapy into her body as she was fighting off stage two ovarian cancer. Two years later, in ninth grade, at age 14, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer and had to undergo chemotherapy. At 15, I went through my first breakup and was tormented the next year as I watched the girl pursue other guys, which confirmed the lie that I was unlovable and worthless. Then at 19, while in college, due to my sexual addiction, I went through another horrific breakup with a girl I thought I was going to marry. This sent me into depression accompanied with suicidal thoughts. From age 19 to 22, I had to slowly watch my maternal grandfather's mind decay. Even though he looked perfectly healthy on the outside, he was dying from dementia. At 22, my senior year of college, I was delivered from 16 demonic spirits who had been tormenting my soul. And most recently, On October 10th, 2021, 
when I was 25. I lost my father unexpectedly in a four-wheel, four-wheeler accident. It's been a lifetime of suffering of one kind or another. Whether brought upon me by others, self-inflicted, or just as a result of living in a fallen world, suffering has been present all along the way. Abuse, sickness, heartbreak, addiction, demons, and death. As I look back on this past year, I can see the different ways the Lord was preparing me for the passing of my father. First of all, the fact that I've owned the book A Grace Disguised for six years and happened to decide to read it six months before my dad's death can only be attributed to the sovereignty of God. And secondly, earlier this year, I had the realization that I had never lost someone really close to me. I'd lost three out of four grandparents, but I'd never lost a sibling, a parent, or a close friend. And, and then it hit me. One day, I'm going to get a phone call that someone very close to me has suddenly passed away. And this might seem morbid and despairing, but it was neither of those things. It was reality finally sinking in. At some point along the line, all of us are going to lose someone near and dear to our hearts unless we are the first ones to go. So when I got that phone call from my sister at 9.39 p.m. that Sunday night that dad had just passed away, I wasn't completely surprised. It was shocking and unbelievable for sure, but it wasn't as if a complete stranger were knocking on my door to come in. This guest Definitely came much sooner than expected, but I had already prepared a room in my soul to host this form of suffering. Jesus himself told us that we would experience suffering. In fact, he guaranteed it. In John 16, 33, when speaking to his disciples, he said, in this world you will have trouble, which happens to be the same word that's used in our passage, Romans 5, 3. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So scripture tells us in numerous places that we ought to expect suffering and even rejoice in it because it can mature us if we allow it. If we respond appropriately, Romans 5, 4 says that it will produce hope in our lives. And this is not a vain hope. Why? For the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Through our suffering, we can experience the love of God in deeper ways as the Holy Spirit ministers the love of God to our hearts in the midst of our suffering. This love confirms the hope that we will one day be glorified with God. And actually, later in Romans chapter 8, Paul says that suffering is a necessary, necessary condition for, ter- for participating in Christ's glory. Verses 14 through 17 say, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That last phrase is conditional. If you want to participate in Christ's glory, then you must also participate in his suffering. That's hard, but it's true. And this is truly what sets Christianity apart from every other belief system. Because the God of Christianity isn't some distant, aloof God who doesn't get involved in the happenings of humanity, nor really care what comes of us. No, he's a personal God who cares about and even loves human beings. So what is his answer to suffering? Christmas. Christmas. To show how seriously he takes the suffering of humanity, God chose to enter into it. At the birth of Jesus Christ, God added humanity to his deity and experienced the suffering that every human being must endure in this life. But he went above and beyond the normal lot of human suffering. He endured the worst suffering one ever could. The same baby that at Christmas fulfilled the prophecies from Isaiah 7 that God would dwell with his people in Isaiah 9 that he would be the prince of peace is the same baby that would one day fulfill the prophecy of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. You'll hear people ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And my response is, well, this has only happened once in human history. Because there's only been one good person among us. And the worst things happened to him on the cross. So when suffering comes our way, we have questions. We want answers. Why is this happening? What good reason could you possibly have for this? Give me an answer, God. God's response was, you want a word? How about I give you the word? You want a reason for your suffering? How about I give you a person as your answer? Because he knows we don't need some sort of intellectually sound philosophical argument as an answer to suffering. He knows that we need an emotional answer to suffering. We need a personal answer to suffering. And so he came as a person, the word, as the answer to the problem. God's ultimate answer to the problem of suffering is the cross. There, God willingly chose to suffer so that we would not suffer alone. In one fell swoop, he addressed both the problem of evil and the problem of suffering. And God does not ask us to do anything he hasn't already done. So when the suffering apportioned to us comes, we can remember that he has suffered with us. I think one of the hardest things about losing my dad is that our relationship was the best it ever was. I had by no means been a perfect son, and he hadn't been a perfect father, but God had really transformed our relationship in the last couple years. And since losing him, I've I've wondered, why now? 
But the reality is, is that I will probably never get a direct answer. But I do know that God wants to bring about more endurance, more character, more hope in my life as a result of losing my father. And something else I realize is that God truly can relate to us in every way, including in the death of a loved one. While on earth, Jesus experienced the death of his friend Lazarus, Lazarus, even though he soon raised him from the dead, he wept. And God the Father can relate as well because he experienced the most painful kind of loss, the death of a child. Whatever the suffering in your life may be, God himself knows on an experiential level. And we never know how God might use the suffering in our own lives to expand our capacity to be loved and to love. In 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. The God who knows suffering comforts us in our suffering so that we can comfort others in their suffering. And this has been true in my own life. Danielle and I have been going through counseling this past year to work through some of the pain from our past that we've both been running from. We had to turn, face the pain, and walk right toward it. It hasn't been fun, but it has been healing. And now, we can better help others who have suffered in the same ways because God has comforted us in our suffering. So suffering is central to the Christian life because if we want to participate in Christ's glory, we must first participate in his suffering. In light of this, we must learn to suffer well. Therefore, when, we, when suffering comes knocking at our door, we ought to respond with the answer God has given us in Romans 5, 1 through 5. This problem of suffering is inescapable. Whether it's on the macro level with all the suffering around the world or on the micro level in our personal lives, we need answers on how to deal with suffering. We saw that the world offers us the options of running away or giving up and letting it consume us. However, neither of these is satisfactory because neither of them actually address the problem. The former voids it and the latter never gets out of it. But we saw that God offers the answer to the problem of suffering. We must face it head on, just like he did at the cross. We can rejoice in our suffering because we know, we know that he is going to use it to bring about good in our lives and to mature us. In his dream, Gerald realized the futility of running after the sunset and finally gave up and collapsed to the ground while the darkness coming from the east would soon consume him. As he told this dream to his sister, she shared a profound, a profound thought with him. She said the quickest way to get back to the light of day with its warmth and comfort isn't to keep running after the sunset 
in the west. Rather, one must turn and go east, plunging into the darkness until one comes to the sunrise. It will be dark, it will be scary, but it's the fastest way back to the light. Those of you running away to the west and those of you collapsed in the field, it's time to head due east. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for not leaving us alone in our pain and our suffering, God. Thank you for giving us answers. Even if those answers aren't exactly what we're looking for, God, we know that you know best, that you see the whole picture, that you are working all things out to completion. So Jesus, I pray that you would draw near to any and all in any suffering, in any affliction that any might be dealing with, that you would encourage them, Lord, that they would stop running away, that they would stand up out of the pit of despair, God, and turn and face it. Because we know the good shepherd is walking with us through the valley of the shadow of death. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.